As a pastor, Mother's Day is a really hard day because there's a lot of emotions. Uh, for some of you, um, this is a great day. I mean, you get to celebrate being a mom. You get to celebrate some of you with your mom. For some of you, it's a day of, um, uh, it's just going to be a great day being around family and, and, and things like that. For some of you, it's a tough day. Um, either because maybe this is the first Sunday without your mom here, or it may be your 20th Sunday without your mom. Um, some of you have had the, the difficult experience of losing a child, so this day becomes very raw and very hard. Some of you wanted to be moms, and you never got to have children. Um, some of you have wanted to know your mom, but your mom passed away before you ever got to know her. And so the day is just loaded with emotion. And then you add to it those of us who are male who got no clue what this thing is all about. Um, because, you know, I mean, it's not our day. It's your day. Uh, so as we, as we head into it, on my end of it, there's just a, the thing's packed with emotion. And so, and I know typically on a day like today, we focus on moms. But today, I, I want to make a little bit bigger focus. And although we're going to talk about being a mom, we're going to talk about more about the idea of being a woman and the role that you play in this world. We're in a culture right now which is trying to minimize the idea of male versus female. We're in a culture which is trying to blend them together and saying, you know, it's just kind of this blended thing. But there are some great things about being male. There are some great things about being female. And the Bible is very, very clear that when God created, God created Two sexes, very, very distinct. Um, and so with that in mind this morning, I want to talk to an unlikely focus this morning. And that is, I want us this morning to talk about Moses. Not necessarily Moses, because we all know how great Moses was. But I want to talk about the women in Moses' life. Because you see... Often when we read the Bible stories, we read about the men who were deliverers and judges and who came in and did all of these great things. But we don't focus on the women who were behind them. When you look at Moses and you look at how often he's talked about in Scripture and how the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses is there. What you don't realize is the whole story of Moses exists because of four or five plus women. And if you take those four or five women and change their role in any way, shape, or form, the life of Moses never happens. And so this morning, I want to go back to the story of the birth of Moses, and I want you to see the women that were involved. And I want you to learn, I want all of us to learn some lessons that I think we can apply as parents and, and parent people who aren't parents and men and women and all the way across the board. So with that in mind, um, I want to go to Exodus chapter 2. Uh, let me give you a little background before we do. Um, Joseph came out of, uh, out of Israel to Egypt. Remember, there was a big famine, and Joseph's the ones who delivered them. Okay? And for a while, the Israelites in, in Egypt were like important people because everybody followed Joseph. But there came a time in the Egyptian world in which they forgot Joseph. And when Joseph came down, he brought his family down with him, and they lived in a separate little area. Well, what happened is they continued to grow and grow and grow. And the next thing you know, there were more Israelites in Egypt than it seemed Egyptians. 
So they're dealing with this massive immigration problem where they have all of these immigrant Israelites living in Egypt, and they had to figure out what to do. After Joseph, about 350 years passes, and they've forgotten all about Joseph, and all they've got are all these Israelites and all these Egyptians. So the Pharaoh comes in, and he says, let's make a decree. And the decree is going to be this. If a male Hebrew child is born, he must be killed immediately. And the way they would kill him is they would take the child, they would throw them in the Nile River. The Nile was known for its crocodiles. And so most of those children would either drown or they'd be eaten alive by the crocodiles. And the idea was, and again, when you add into it the idea that um, the Nile River associated with the god, goddesses and everything else, it was almost like a way to appease the, the, the Nile River god, so to speak. So you have this context. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, we talk about America and how we're dealing with the immigration. Look, this, 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 program, this problem was three, 4,000 years ago. We talk about America and how abortion is such a horrible thing, and it is, but the reality of it is this has been going on for three, 4,000 years. And so it's not, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just recycled in a way that we deal with it. So this is the culture that you have. So I want you to think about this for a minute as we read this story because I want to try to make it real this morning to you. Exodus chapter 2, and here's what it says. Uh, and there went a man out of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. We know, as we, and, and as we read other stories and accounts of this, that the man's name was Amram. The woman's name was Jochebed. Both of them were Levite. So uh, what that means is that they were cousins, and yes, they got married. Okay? And no, it's not a southern thing. Uh, they got married because, again, at this point in history, yeah, some of you have figured it out. Uh, at this point in history, there, the, the, the Ten Commandments hasn't been given. Moses isn't on the scene. Uh, this is before the law. It was a different time, and that was acceptable back then. So they're cousins. Anyway, they get married, and uh, it goes on to say this. And the woman conceived. So let's just stop. I'm going to pause as we go through this thing. So they get ready to have a child. And that's always an exciting time. You know, a child comes along and, you know, you're excited and now they do these. And don't, if you do this, okay, you can do this. Just don't ask me to get excited about it. You know, now we have these gender reveal things. The only thing I like about the gender reveals is if you're blowing something up. So, you know, if you're like shooting a balloon and it goes blue or some of you don't know what I'm talking about. This is a big thing, okay. Uh, my, my. Nephews do this, and I, every time my mom tells me about it, she knows I just, just cringe. But anyway, they do the gender reveal. Everybody gets together, and it's like, oh, it's a boy. Oh, it's a girl. We had that when I was growing up. It was, it was called delivery, um, you know, and, and that's the way it was back there. They're all excited because a child is going to be born, and they don't know what it is, and, the, and, and so they're all excited. Now, at this point, Amram and um, Jochebed have two other children. They had Miriam, okay? And we're guessing Miriam's like a young teenager, probably somewhere between like 8 and 12, somewhere in there. Um, they had another son by the name of Aaron, okay? Aaron's probably 4 or 5. And they're now ready to have their third child now. Now, since, since Aaron was born, there's now been this decree that if it's a boy, it has to die. And so now it, it, they conceive... And the text says, and they bear, and she bared a son. So you can imagine now automatically, 
All that excitement, everything else has gone right out the window because now it's a boy child. And the boy child under Pharaoh is supposed to die. So you can imagine just a heartbreak. And um, when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. Now, that's that, every parent thinks their kid's like the cutest thing in the world. Okay, I, I get that. That's not what this is talking about. It's interesting. In the in, in original language, in the Hebrew language, this idea of goodly child, it's used, it's the same word that God uses in creation. When God creates something and he says it was good, when God creates something that was good, and God creates In other words, there was something about this child that as they looked at this child, there was something unique about him where they knew this child was different. This child was uniquely special. And they were able to somehow figure that out. And it said, and she took him and she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of the bulrushes, dabbed it with slime and with pitch, put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. So here's this thing. Jochebed is now raising this child, and she's able to keep the child quiet for about three months. But then she starts to realize that as a mom, I'm putting in jeopardy my other two kids, and my husband. Because if this is found out, we could all be killed. So she has to make this difficult decision of choosing between her children. So, at the end of three months, she realizes I can't do this anymore. She knows what Pharaoh said. She knows this child's supposed to be thrown in the river. So here's what she does. She takes, and it's interesting because as we read the text and as we, as we dig into it a little bit, here's what we find. There was a type of reed that they had during this time that alligators didn't like. So she makes the, the basket out of this, these reeds that alligators don't like. Now, I borrowed this basket from Greg Schink. Um, i got to give it back. Uh, nice basket, though. She weaves this basket, okay? And she decides that she's going to make it waterproof. So as she weaves this basket and, and, and makes it with those special reeds that alligators don't like, and then lines it with pitch and tar and stuff like that to make it so that it's watertight, so now it will float. She now has to make the difficult decision to take her child, to put it in the basket, and walk away. Now, I'm going to try this. This could be a disaster. But I want to, I want to drive this home so you never, ever forget it. Okay? Um, Hallie is two months old. So Katie's going to try this. She doesn't know this yet. I just told them this when they walked in this morning. But I want you, so let's bring her up and see how this goes. Um, so as a mom, what would you do? Look at this. She's already got a blanket, okay? Because she's going, I'm not going to put my child in that little reed thing. That looks like that could be hard. 
I want you to think about this for a minute, because I, I, I don't know how this is going to go. This could be a disaster. <laughs> or it could be like the coolest thing I've done up here in a long time. Um, so this is a two-month-old little baby girl. Incredible little girl. Can you put her in there? Huh? <laughs> As a mom, and I just want you to watch her. Watch what she does. You're like, I didn't come to church for this. It's like Mother's Day. I should. Huh? I don't know if she'll fit or not. do this for very long <laughs> okay now Katie walk away <laughs> oh no no you gotta leave her hair <laughs> yeah just walk away no okay come on I'm not gonna let I'm not gonna do that till good night it's like you can't believe what that pastor did on Mother Day you can take her back now okay did you watch what she did? Yeah, you can take a whole basket if you want. Well, yeah, just bring the, yeah, go get her, and then I'll, get, I'll come back and get the basket in a minute. Yeah, you can figure it all out. Did you notice what she did? Did you notice how careful she was? Until I said what? Walk away. Because you see, when we read these stories in the Bible, we forget these are real stories with real people in a real situation. And Jochebed, it's interesting. The Bible says she placed her in the bulrushes. See, it was an area that the crocodiles didn't like that much. And it would have been a little shelter from the hot Egyptian sun. But here's the thing. At some point, mom had to walk. And leave that little child, maybe crying, in the bulrushes, and walk away. And we know that she walked away because of the next verse. Listen to what it says. Uh, Go to the next one. And his sister Miriam, a little teenage girl, stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. In other words, I'm going to grab my basket back. Thanks, guys. I'm surprised how well that went, actually. Uh, <laughs> you learn. You never do put children or animals on this, on, on, with you on a platform. She sets that thing in the bulrushes, and mom, Jacobet, has to walk away. But teenage sister, little older maybe, elementary girl, sits and watches because her little brother's in a basket. She doesn't know what she's going to see. She doesn't know if she's going to watch an alligator take his life. She doesn't know if she's going to watch that child float off never to be seen again. She sits and she watches. Now here's where the story gets fun. Notice what happens next. Um, go to the next verse, guys. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. 
And her maidens walked along by the river's side, and when she saw the ark among the flags of the reeds, she sent her maid to fetch it. She said, hey, what's that over there? That's something that's unique. There was something about the way that was that it was out of place. And she said, go get it. And it says that they, they, when she had op- and when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. So she opens up this thing, and I think maybe, maybe, in my mind's eye at least, God kept that child from crying because it would have just been too much for mom. She opens it up, and the baby cries, and she had compassion on him. Um, pity. She says there, she sees something about this child. She sees something about this little baby that she just can't ignore. And it says, and she had compassion on him, and he said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, so now... Miriam, who's watching this, runs up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, Shall I go and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew woman, that she may nurse the child for you? How about if I go get somebody to take care of this child, because I know you can't. You know, you, you know we'll, we'll go find somebody. And they had people who would nurse the children. Um, and Pharaoh's daughter says, Go, and the maid went and called the child's mother. So she comes to Jacobin now, and she says, Hey, listen. They need somebody to nurse the child. What child? Moses. And notice how the story goes on. Verse 9. This is amazing. Uh, Verse 9. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So now, not only does she get to raise her own kid, she gets to pay. She gets paid to raise her own kid. Okay? And notice what it says. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. As exciting as it is that Jochebed gets to get her child back, you need to remember, she also has to give the child away a second time. And the thing about the second time is, in all reality, she probably never saw Moses again. Because Moses would have been pushed into the Egyptian system of learning and the Egyptian court. And notice that it says, and she called his name Moses. And she said, because I drew him out of the water. That's what the Hebrew word means. And she named Moses. It's interesting. The Bible talks about Moses. One of the things that it says is that in that short amount of time, we don't know. It may have been only up to about five years old. At the earliest, at the latest, it probably would have been seven years old. In that amount of time. Jochebed was able to teach Moses some incredible things. Because one of the passages in the Bible talking about Moses says this, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was able to recognize that the greatest person of influence in his life was his mother. And he was not going to allow Pharaoh's daughter to take that title. It's also interesting, by the way, Moses happens to be one of the first children we read in the Bible given up for adoption. Not voluntarily. And yet, adopted and raised by someone else. And yet, mom was able to have such an influence that 40 years later, when Moses is standing out one day and he watches two people fighting and he watches the way they're they're treating an Egyptian, or a, a Hebrew, Moses decides to be associated with the Hebrew people, not the Egyptian people. And he takes a man's life 
because he says, I am a Hebrew. And if you know anything about the Egyptian system, let me tell you something. They ingrained the Egyptian lifestyle into these people as they trained them. But somehow, that woman was able to do that. Also, there are two women that are not talked about in this particular passage. But they're the midwives who didn't throw the children, Moses, into the river. See, when Jacobed would have had Moses, there would have been midwives to help him. Actually, we believe they're actually named Shifra and Pua. Because the Bible talks about two midwives named Shifra and Pua. And in fact, when, when Pharaoh starts realizing that not, not enough Hebrew children are dying, one of the things is he brings in the midwives, he says, why? And they go, look, these are incredible women. I mean, by the time we get there, kids out. Nothing we can do. You know? And the reality was these women trusted God and had faith and confidence in God that, you know what? They decided, you know what? We're not going to do this. We're going to obey God rather than Pharaoh. And they are honored in, actually, their names mentioned. And so a lot of people believe, we're not sure, but a lot of people believe that the two women, Shifra and Pua, are actually the ones that delivered Moses, and that's why their names are mentioned. So here's the thing. As you look at the story, you see a woman by the name of Jochebed playing a big role, his mom. You see a little teenager named Miriam playing a role. You see two midwives, probably Shifra and Pua, playing a role. And you say, even a pagan princess by the, with Pharaoh's daughter playing a role. All of these women had a part in everything you ever read about the life of Moses. And we don't think about that very often. And we talk about how great Moses was, but the reality of it is the reason Moses could do what he did was because of the role all of these women had. So, that's the story. Let's talk about some things that we can learn um, that, that help all of us, whether you're male or female or, or whatever else, um, as you go to the story. A couple of uh, things to learn. Number one, don't minimize the influence you have on kids. You see, every one of these women had influence on Moses. Not just mom. Pharaoh's daughter, sister, midwives, all of these people played a role. One of the things I think we minimize, one of the things I love about small church is that you get to impact the lives of all of the kids that are here. And you don't get that in a lot of the larger churches where the kids are in one corner and, the, and everybody's segregated by their age group. You, you miss the interaction with it. My family is a recipient of the fact that my boys grew up here with their parents. I don't know how many sets of grandparents. I don't know how many sets of aunts and uncles. I don't know how many people played a role as great-grandparents to them. I mean, even the point that we have some of you who will invite my kids out to dinner without inviting us. And I love it. I love it. Because you see, my kids have as their role models men and women who love the Lord, who were real about their life, who were able to have an impact in their lives. I love the idea that my daughter, and I hate the term daughter-in-laws because they're really like my daughters, but I love the idea that they can be brought into this incredible family and you guys treated them like you treated my kids. 
I love the idea that my granddaughter can be surrounded by all of these great men and women. Because we are in this thing together helping one another. And you need to understand, because some of you, you get this idea that you can't have influence. You are so far off base. You can have a tremendous impact on the kids. You go, well, I don't have any kids. Or my kids are all gone. Or I don't Look, pick one kid in this church and every week say something to them. Every week ask about their life. You will be amazed at the influence and impact you have on them and they have on you. You see? I mean, I love it. I love it, the fact that we have people who you will go to kids' games here at church even though they're not your kids because you really think they are your kids. Follow that one out. And you go, I'm going to be there and cheer them on. I want to be there because we're... And that is so important for us to understand. It wasn't just mom who had the influence on Moses. It was Shifra and Pua and Miriam and Pharaoh's daughter and all of these people who got Moses to the point that God could use him. And you and I have the same opportunity every week here. Don't minimize your influence. Don't minimize how important it is for you to say hi to these kids, to pay attention to them, to let them know you're praying for them, to let them know you're in their corner. That is so important. And as a parent, I can tell you this. It is one of the, it's one of the things that I never realized about small church ministry, about rural ministry, that I look at now and I think, I had a pastor friend who years ago went from a big church to a small church. I told him for years he'd do fine. And he finally, he said, one of his big concerns was, he said, I'm worried about my kids. I said, trust me on this. I said, it'll be the best environment for your kids you can imagine. And it was. And now he's like, man, we've got so many. Because they moved away from everybody, and, 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 and now they have so many people in their church that take on their kids. I remember one of our first Christmases here. Um, go back in the early days. Um, uh, I don't remember what it was they paid me a week to preach, but it wasn't much. Um, like, yeah, 75 bucks a week. That's what I was making. Um, and, and so we didn't have a lot for Christmas, but I'll never forget one, one Sunday. It was around Christmas time. After we had a service deal, and we, 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 literally, we literally could not get everybody in the car because the car was packed with presents for my kids. And I was like, I don't know how we're going to get home, but I said, we'll figure it out. You know? And we watched that because everybody just kind of took them under their wing. And, and I, I say that's so important for us to realize the influence we have. Second thing I think to understand is this. We've really got to learn to trust God. You watched Katie when I said, walk away. What was the first thing she did? She grabbed the basket. She grabbed the basket. Because you see, and you're smart for this, Katie, by the way. She didn't trust me up here with her daughter, okay? It's like, <laughs> and anybody who knows me and little babies, uh, you're smart. There's a lot of wisdom there. Because um, I don't know what to do with them. They just look cute to me. Um, but, uh, you know, she's like, I don't know if I want to leave. You know, finally she was like, okay, I'll trust you. But you, if you notice, she kind of did this thing all the whole way out. You know, okay, I'm doing it because you're like the pastor, and I know I shouldn't. There's a lot of people watching, but I'm not so sure about you up here. Uh, see, 
Jacobed was able to walk away because she decided she was going to put her trust and confidence in God that God would do what only God could do. And she didn't know what was going to happen. But she just figured, I'm going to put my confidence in God and I'm going to put that baby there and I'm going to walk away and it's going to be hard. And we know she walked away because you know what? She didn't see what happened when Pharaoh's daughter came. Miriam is the one who was watching. Miriam had to go to Pharaoh's daughter and then go all the way back to Jacobed because I'm going to tell you what I think. I think Jacobed was curled up in a corner somewhere bawling her eyes out. Because even with trust and confidence and faith in God, that doesn't mean it's easy. And so I think as a mom with a mom's heart, she's bawling her head off thinking, I know God, I know I should, and I know I'm trusting you, but it's still just hard. But you know what? She had a confidence in the fact that God was going to take care of her child and that God has a bigger plan than what she has. And she walked away putting her child in the hands of God. What's one of the reasons, by the way, she's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 as a great woman of faith? Because that would have been so hard. And you go, yeah, but her story's different because she got the child back. She still had to let him go a second time. And I can't imagine having a child for that long and then walking in and handing it to an Egyptian princess when the child now understands what's happening. And then walking away, you have had to have built such a confidence in that child at that point that it's incredible. Where she can go, again, Moses, again, Moses is Moses. But Moses looks at a Pharaoh's daughter and goes, you ain't my mama. You're not, I'm not going to call you mom. Because my mom's a Hebrew. And what an incredible amount of trust. Um, I don't, I'm hesitant to say this, but I, I, I try to be transparent as much as I can. And so, you know, in, in my life, there's so many different roles. I mean, there's pastor, there's dad, there's, there's husband, there's, you know, there's just so many roles that, that get wrapped up into my world. But personally, the last couple of weeks have been pretty tough. Okay. Not anything to do with church. Church is great. But personally, there's some things that have hit very close to home for me. Um. One of my kids that I had in youth group years, years and years ago um, ended up diagnosed last year with um, uh, colon cancer. He's coming up on his one-year checkup. He's not so sure how this thing's going to play out. Uh, Brenda was one of the kids that I had in youth group for five years. You know, I had kids that would come in and out. They'd come in at the beginning of my ministry, the end of my ministry. She's one of those kids that I had all five years. And so when you start looking and then, for those of you who remember Karen Ronfelt and what we went through with Karen, knowing that, that the journey that Brenda could face is the same journey that I watched Karen live at, which is hard. And then this week to see Gary, who um, is active, my age, blah, 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 all of a sudden his life is turned upside down. But here's the thing about all three of those people. All three of those people have a c- tremendous faith and a confidence in God that... God, no matter what happens, their confidence is in God. And it's so encouraging to me to know that years and years down the line, they still have that outlook. 
in spite of difficult time. And, and so it's really easy for me to stand up here as a pastor and go, trust God, trust God, trust God. But the reality of it is, I understand it is hard. And I'm not going to minimize it. And some of you are faced up against some stuff that it's really hard to trust. I'm trying to say, I'm not minimizing how hard it is. But I will tell you how important it is to do that. The last thing is probably one of the harder things for all of us that are parents or grandparents. I think there comes this issue of learning to trust. I think there comes this issue of learning that we have influence. But you need to understand parenting is primarily a process of letting go. You see, when a child is born, one of the first things that happens is an umbilical cord is cut. From that point on, raising a child is a process of letting go. From that point on, that child who has become so dependent upon that mom for those nine months, now all of a sudden is free to start to live his or her own life. And parenting is now a process of learning to let go. And you think about it for a minute. From the time that you used to feed them to then the time that they grabbed their own bottle. From the time that you used to change to the time that they can walk into a bathroom on their own. Remember when you, they start to walk? Remember that process and you're just so afraid to let go? You know? I, I've got a granddaughter right now that you don't walk with her. You don't, you don't walk her. You walk with her. Okay? Because you reach out your hand, and she's like, she's way up there wanting you to go catch up to her. You know, I, I joke that, you know, she doesn't walk. She runs. And she runs like her father, unfortunately. But, um, you know, I mean, it, it's one of those things. But it's that process of, you know what? And she doesn't run to you. She runs away from you. And then there's that process. And some of you are going down memory lane again for some of you. There's that process of dropping them off at kindergarten. My wife will tell you. I have no problem with the children. It's the parents that are the problem. It's the parents, getting the parents away from that door so that you can close the door and say, now, kids, let me tell you how we're going to do things. But those moms are just like, all that hovering thing. And then you remember how it goes. You know, you teach them to ride a bike. You let it go. You let them go for that first time. Or a horse. For some of you, um, you know, and, and, and in a bike, what do they do? They don't ride towards you right away. And then when they get to be teenagers and you get to that point where <sighs> the driver's license. And you're thinking, oh, boy, you know, it's so hard. And then you know how it goes, graduation and college and married and move away and all of that. It's a whole process of letting go. And you know how hard it is. And unfortunately for some of you, that process got cut short. But I want to remind all of us of this. If you're a parent, grandparent, whatever else here this morning, I, you need to keep this in the back of your head. They don't belong to you. They're not yours. You've been entrusted with them for a time. They don't belong to you. 
They belong to God who gave them to you as a gift. And they are a credible gift to you. But they're not yours. And that is so hard for us to remember. Because so often we want to hang on. And so often, like so many other things in life, we want to take ownership. But the reality of it is, they don't belong to us. Because you see, the whole process of parenting is letting go. When my parents sat down with me and said, we want you to do whatever God wants you to go. To be, go and do whatever God wants you to do. And I looked at them and said, I'm moving to Wisconsin. And they lived in Texas and Louisiana. When I took Gene, I think Charlie might forgive me for this now, maybe. But when I took Gene, who no one in her family had ever left the state of Virginia, and looked at her mom and dad and said, God wants us in Wisconsin. And my wife, for the first time, saw snow that never stopped until spring. Never saw the ground again for four months. And then when we said, hey, God's going to move us. Now we're going to Iowa. But you see, my parents and her parents had decided a long time ago that we were not theirs, that they were simply stewards of what God had entrusted them with. And if God calls us somewhere, that's where we needed to be. And I thank God that we had parents like that. And I just want to remind you of this because I think sometimes we forget that. And here's, here's something I've learned to maybe to help some of you who maybe had to let go too early. What I have found is when I know that letting go, I'm letting go to someplace better, helps me in letting go. One of the hardest things I ever had to do with my boys was when I let them go to basic training because I knew they were not going to a world where it's going to get better. And it was hard because I knew what they were going to have to go through and what they were going to experience. And, you know, and I never forget, (laughs) Jimmy, you know, he said, you know, he said to me, (laughs) he said, well, you know what? I think my drill instructor is going to be a walk in a park compared to being raised by you. (laughs) And I said to him, when you graduate, I want to meet your drill instructor and I want to tell them what you said. And the whole time we were down there for graduation, he did not want me near his... In fact, to this day, he will tell you. How long have you been out now, uh, basic training? 11 years. Okay. And your drill instructor's name was? Yes. She was tech sergeant? Sergeant. Tech, tech sergeant. Tech sergeant Johnson. To this day, he is petrified of her. If he hears her, wor- her voice, it just brings everything back to him. You know, it's easier when you know that they're going to a better place rather than a difficult, more difficult situation. And the thing with Jacobet is she didn't know what was going to happen. She didn't know. I want to challenge you this morning because I think sometimes we forget this stuff. If you're a parent or a grandparent here this morning or a great-grandparent, remember, they're not yours. We all have the opportunity to influence And we all have to learn to trust. And that's not easy sometimes. So I end this morning with this. 
we often forget the important role that women play in our lives. They are often behind the scenes allowing God to use them in great ways. We have the story of Moses because of women like Jochebed, Miriam, Pharaoh's daughter, and the midwives, Shifra and Pua. We need to realize their influence and place our trust in the raising in God raising our children. And we all have to learn. Parenting is about letting go. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, the, the, the emotions this morning are mixed because there's so many different scenarios played out. But Lord, we all need to learn to trust you in difficult times. We all need to influence one another, Lord, for good and not for evil. And Lord, we all need to recognize that everything we have, whether it be children or things or money or jobs or anything that we have, Lord, we don't own. We're just simply stewards of. So help us. Help us to learn to let go of the stuff sometimes that we hang on to so closely. And Lord, to really trust you to do what you need to do to use us. And we will give you the honor and the glory and the praise. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand and we're going to